Thanks for downloading this podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be broadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy wherever they get their podcasts. The world's longest-running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests, and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine, and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello, 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 hello everybody, it's just after 8 o'clock in the UK, which is just after 3 o'clock in the US, as we're beginning to get our clocks synchronised, although for those of you in Australia, um, for some of you, it's a wee bit early this evening, Ted the Toy Man will be uh, listening on the podcast uh, as your clocks don't change until next weekend. It's same in Melbourne, 3am in Perth right now. Uh, it's uh, 5.30 where Ted the Toy Man is. He must be in Adelaide. Um, yeah, so bit early, bit twirly until you... Uh, ch- well, actually, no, when you change your clocks, you'll go the other way, so it'll be even worse, won't it? So unlikely to have you live for a wee while, for those of you down under. However, it is uh, Series 16... Episode 13, I'm John Hindorf, and up in London is Tim Greer. Hello, Tim. Hello, John. And on a... <laughs> and on a hello? Hello. And on a packed programme tonight, we have what? Happy New Year. Uh, we have a lot of the usual features, and a feature that's uh, proved so successful with our listeners, so popular with our listeners last year, that we're bringing it back for more. Oh, excellent. Uh, we will... Have some guests. Uh, we'll be talking and the tyres, um, which is very worthwhile listening to. And we'll be rounding up all the stuff that's happened in the last week, which might just include a bit of Formula One. We'll certainly include some MotoGP, a bit of NASCAR, a bit of off-road, maybe. Mm-hmm. Got a bit Definitely of some extreme news. Yeah. Couple of uh, at least three or three off-road stories actually with Extreme E. Everybody's releasing four, everything. I think, but yeah. have you? Mm. Yeah, uh, and your tweets, Nick please. Will be, on uh, at pleased about all the off-road stuff. Well, no, it's not rallying though, is it? Well, I suppose not. It's rally cross, really, isn't it? Well, sort of. All of ten miles at a time. Hello, Screezilla. Excited well, to hear like how the rally cross stage. Well, yes, yeah, good. Excited to hear how F1 is back. And obviously it'll be the best season ever, TM. Very good. Will we hear anything of the cup and trucks of NASCAR getting down and dirty at Bristol? Yes. Almost certainly. Yes. Carl, We've thank you for that. dirty correspondent uh, our, that. our dirty US correspondent. Yes. Uh, undertaking practice for a BMW Pro Car race at Hockenheim this weekend, says the Sim Racing bar Stewart. Shouldn't be undertaking. That's not, not legal. Well, it might be overtaking as well if he's any good. Is that is that properly M1 Pro cars? You can do that, can you? I've got a Scale Extrix one of them somewhere. In fact, I've got a couple of those tucked away in the storage unit. Jesse Young says, EFA is really excited to go to Bathurst this weekend. Looking forward to a cracking race to watch. That's the six hours, of course, this weekend. The saloon car 
a race. Really, really, really disappointed not to be involved in that uh, this year. But they've got plenty of commentators down there as it's all on telly or around there. But no international feed uh, with us this year. Sorry about that. Uh, Ollie says, if you want drama, check out the uh, 2016 race in Spa. Uh, most, oh, sorry, what was that about? Right, not sure. Uh, Patrick Drum, uh, all the usual features, looking to a discussion about NASCAR dirt track weekend. Very good. Uh, Brody, no AFA's first outside show of the year, question mark. Dare I say what I'm doing, though I did work it on the way. Are you still welding the Porsche 944? Uh, we are not outside this weekend, although Nick and I were outside earlier on today because we're not allowed to be inside together just yet. And I, I did seriously, I did seriously consider running a long cable out and getting the ISDM box out and sitting in front of the fire tonight. Um, but um, we didn't, and Nick went back home in the TR. Uh, hello to Kevin Payne, to uh, Mazza Spin. Very good. Uh, to Jerry Sisk, who is listening tonight as well. To Stuart Hart, uh, what's going to happen to Spa? WEC, no clue. Although I suspect we might have some calendar news uh, tonight. If we do. To Matt, to Right Turn Lover, to Sarah. Uh, uh, to Kevin, I've men- mentioned Kevin Pink. Uncle Kevin, AFAs today as I'm getting vaccinated. There's a joke there. But we'll move right on to Stuart Art Hart. Uh, hello, Stuart. Hello to Wicker Bill. Uh, to Ben Constantius, who's listening tonight. Uh, and to Chris Suku, to Daniel Summersgill, listening tonight for the first time in a while. To Alex. Uh, um, Tuna Pasta this evening and all the usual features while doing the washing up. Uh, Everyone wants to know, do we have news in Spanish or booze in Spanish? Uh, Lounsey semi-retired car, listening tonight. Uh, Also, Ian McCarthy. Um, Nice to know that you're tuned in tonight, Ian. Uh, To Rob Jaina, listening live for the first time in ages. Really looking forward. Excellent. Simon Hoff, tuned in. Doug Amner. As well, with cookies on the sofa. Not even watching the footy. We'll keep you in touch uh, with that to prove we are live uh, this evening as well. Uh, play the jingle. Uh, let's have your questions, comments, matters arising at Specutainment. Uh, shuffle your papers, Tim, and let's get on with the first question. First question, first story. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. There's been a goal. Liechtenstein nil, Iceland won. Excellent. Carry uh, on. We're going to start with MotoGP. I was waiting for something from our MotoGP correspondent there. I think you've got Anything? Off. Oh, there we go. I'm, no, I'm no, I had a fear to do. I can do a two-stroke noise if you like. Ring, ding, 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 yes. Almost certainly. It was the opening round of the 2021 MotoGP 
at the weekend, along with Mortal 2 and Mortal 3. Well, with a bit of luck, we'll get Dex to come and chat about that in a wee while or possibly later in the programme. In the day, we'll talk about Moto 3. We're not going to talk about Moto 2. It's boring. Well, we've got to mention it because... We have um, now. Yeah. Anyway, well done, Sam Laws. Contractive uh, obligation so, fulfilled. Yes, indeed, if we had one. Uh, under the lights at LaSalle uh, at the weekend, it all looked great. And, and, and. And what yeah, do you take I mean, away from it, Nick? Well, what I take away from it is, my goodness, Ducati's launch control is good, isn't it? Yes, but not as not as dominant with a headwind down the main street no, no, as they had been. Hmm? They're getting off the line, John. No, 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 no. I, no, I know about the launch control, and I've agreed with that. But they were not as dominant with a headwind down the main straight as they were in clearer air when they were well, 10 kilometres, 12 kilometres an hour quicker. And we saw a new fastest top speed ever of 225.4 miles an hour. What can you do in practice you can't do in the race? Uh, Cheat. No, you can use as much fuel as you like. Uh, that's a good point. Yes. Yes. If you are having to last the entire race, and that's you can't a fair point. Well made. As you like, so you know it may well be. And the one thing that is universally true is the more revs, the more power you're getting. That because you're making bigger bangs with more fuel, and whilst you can do it a couple of times, you can't do it every lap because you'll just run out of petrol. Um, you know, and that and that's how uh, that's, close that's, are they on fuel in these races then, particularly on a quick track like Lucille. Oh, I think they're, they're, they're using, if you look at those, the very few messages we get through sometimes, you know, often the Suzuki, you know, use, you know, map one, map two, those maps are fuel-saving maps. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, they are, I mean, realistically, they should be, they should be blooming close. Otherwise, they're leaving, they're leaving power somewhere. So, you know, they, they, that's what, they, they, yeah, the engines are a litre, they've got, and they can get as much power as they like. Um and th- th- but they have to, th- th- it comes with a few and they, and they we absolutely ran them as, as cl- they, they obviously wanted to just get finish the race, slow cool down lap and, and the fuel sample and that's all they want and they will use as much as they can outside that. So yeah, I think on the, the high speed tracks there's definitely fuel saving going on. That's why sometimes just sitting in someone's slipstream is so useful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the overall race, I think. Um, I think. <sighs> Is it the second coming, the third coming, the fourth coming? I don't know. I mean, I'm sure Yamaha are getting too excited about winning the first race. They've done that quite a lot recently. It's all gone to um, her the handcart afterwards. But uh, Vignales look really, really good. But what, what Maverick's going to turn up next week? What Maverick's going to turn up in Portugal in four weeks' time? This is the problem, isn't it? Maverick is a Maverick. Um, he's brilliant when he's on it, and he's not even there when he's not. Um that's the problem. Can he can he run it around? I think I think you know it was interesting that it was Jack Miller who faded out of the Ducatis and Zarco and Bagnaia both managed to finish the podium. Obviously, that was a toss up with what happened with with, with Juan Mir, who kind of I don't know, he got the last corner wrong or he was just a bit short of tire. No, he went um, in too hard, I think. But it was I thought I mean yeah I thought it was an interesting race. So the Espargaros um, uh, did well. Um, in the Alesh managed to get a seventh for Aprilia, which is a massive surprise. And Paul Esparago got eighth for Honda, which is which is again not particularly good. But they were they were behind each other. But yeah, I mean, I think it was a it was it was it was a really interesting race. And then, and when they saw the Ford Ducati streak off in the lead with the pre-hyped massive speed advantage, you know, obviously I think we all expected that the uh, 
the new boy, uh, Jorge Martin, would fade back. But I thought it was going to be one, two, three, I'll be honest with you. I thought it was going to be one, two, three, just depending which order it is. So I was really impressed with the way that both the Suzuki's and the uh, um, Yamaha's came back to them. Tim? Do you want to say anything else about MotoGP, or should we move um, on? No, I, I, um, yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot... I thought there was uh, a lot to talk about. Um, I agree with Nick, but we, we got the right Maverick this weekend. Quattararo feared it. Um, uh, it Morbid Elliott was odd. He was never at the races. Or never at the race. All the races. No. Um, which is a surprise. Um, uh, yeah, I, I mean, the I, people at I, the I, back. I, of the, there was people at the back of the field that sort of you raised your eyebrows about. Um, one thing. Um, uh, Rossi got po- got points, which you said he wouldn't all season. No, I didn't. Uh, uh, you said he. I th- I'm a massive Rossi fan. I'd never, I'd never berate Rossi. You got the wrong person there. Oh. Johnny, wrong conversation. All right. Um, I I remember being berated in the MotoGP, um, in the MotoGP preview, um, about mentioning the fact that I thought he could still win races, and somebody said I don't think he'll get points this year. Okay. Um, well, he got points anyway. And yeah, I mean, I think I qualified I think really well. Rossi qualified really oh, well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the KTM's did bad. I mean, I think, I think it's like a it's a weird situation because the Qatari uh, Losar tracker anyway is a, a strange track. We're going to be back there next. Yeah, well, in what four days' time for a second race. Um, it would be interesting to see if it's more more of the same or if Ducati will work out a way of staying ahead. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a really it was a you know, a spectacular race, certainly visually it was spectacular. Um, and I think apart from KTM, everyone was probably relatively happy what happened, you know, because no one had an absolute nightmare apart from Mordelli. Uh Declan Brennan has joined us. Uh, Declan, what would you like to say about MotoGP at the weekend? Just uh, MotoGP, we'll come back to two and three. Uh I just caught the end of what Nick said, and I would completely... I'm going to fully do a Nick here and completely disagree with him, because if you're Jack Miller and you finished ninth on a bike and in a team that was expecting to at least finish on the podium, you should be disgusted with that, because that is a race and a pair of races where you should be banking points if you're Ducati. And to finish ninth uh, is on on the works bike and to be completely outperformed by Johan Zarco. Uh, and Peko Bagnaya uh, is is uh, pretty terrible, in all fairness. Uh, as far as, I mean, Suzuki decks actually made a bit of a silk purse of what could have been a sow's ear. But yes. coming back to what we said in the MotoGP preview about their bike being pretty good everywhere, perhaps not stunning anywhere, but they actually managed to really optimise the bike for the race. Yeah, they did. And uh, it's an interesting uh, conundrum that everybody had. And obviously they have it a little bit worse because they simply don't have the speed uh, over a lap to, to, to consistently qualify in, in Q2. But they did it again. They they were able to to take advantage. Now I'm not sure how much you've discussed this, and I apologise as I'm late, and I do have a note. No, no, it's uh, all right. The, I've got the, your note. The the the, uh, the conditions were such that ultimately uh, the 
the advantage of the Ducati was negated somewhat by the fact that they, because of the headwind and the fact that they almost immediately ran on on much leaner settings, they couldn't uh, they couldn't run yeah. uh, on a mapping that allowed them to take advantage of their 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 uh, their straight line speed. So that would have handed some uh, of the uh, advantage back to to the other bikes. On saying that, uh, I was very surprised by how fast Yamaha were, but Suzuki. Uh, didn't do anything necessarily that surprised me other than maybe uh, a little bit with regards to uh, Mir being more aggressive, I thought, than than Rince. Rince wasn't able to get past bikes, whereas Mir was. Hence, hence Mir finished ahead of him, which goes against, made made Nick and I look slightly foolish, because uh, I, I, and I still believe it, but that that Rince is the faster, more aggressive rider, but certainly wasn't, didn't look to be the case on Sunday where mm. Mir did all the, the, the heavy lifting to get to the front. And if it wasn't for a, an overly a defensive move into the last turn, I think he probably would have got on the podium. So I'm, I'm, I'm not necessarily surprised by Suzuki. Uh, some there's there certainly surprises elsewhere uh, in those results, but Suzuki not so much. O- only maybe insofar as I expected Rince to finish ahead of Mir. Um, this uh, this from Matthew Heinemann. Um, hello to Marcel Duke, by the way, is catching up on the podcast. I'd expect you, Timid. Is Mav- Maverick Vinales just Mortal GP's Valtteri Bottas? Every time he wins earlier in the season, everybody says it's a new dawn. That dawn eventually fades away. But this is this is a bit like what we talked about, though, Nick, isn't it, in, in the preview? Which Maverick turns up and whether Quattararo will be good or bad for him and, and who is who is first... You know who is who is number one rider? Does that make, does, do, we couldn't answer that in the preview? Who was the number one rider there? So does it does that result make Vinales the number one rider there? I I don't think Lynn Jarvis is fool enough to, to think that's going to happen. Jarvis, who's the team manager there? Yeah. He he knows full well that it's uh, uh, you know it, it's yeah they're what was that, 15 or sixteen races where we actually think Vinales has arrived because he just fades, he just disappears for weeks on end. Or he historically has done. Perhaps he won't do it this time. Um, no, it's 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 no surprise he's won. It's also a huge surprise he won. Uh, and, and as and as far as you're concerned, then, Dex, uh, it, is that is what we saw at the weekend? Is that valid? Only until the next race, as yes. far as Lynn Jarvis and Yamaha he is, are concerned. He is absolutely the opening of innings of a Test match. Uh, when 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 somebody gets bowled out for four runs and you go oh wow they're either terrible or that pitch is terrible but I don't know until the other team bat and yeah. that is literally yeah. we now have to wait for him to to go out and do it again and mm. and see qualify nineteenth uh, and finish thirty eighth which of course is impossible because there aren't that many riders but uh, you know he's he it, it's the only thing that and I totally agree with Nick. Him winning and being brilliant and maybe riding the best uh, race of his entire career doesn't take away the fact that until he backs it up, he is just the rider we think he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a beautifully judged race, Dex, though, from him, wasn't it? It It was magnificent. Because they were written off. Everybody else other than Ducatis, who were one, two, three, and four, halfway 
round the first lap because of that launch control that, that Nick was talking about, which is just ridiculous. And and when, by the way, did they install steam catapults onto the uh, Ducati grid starts, uh, grid spots of a grid? But everybody everybody had written every other manufacturer off. It was going to be a Ducati benefit. I said how well Suzuki did, but in, in fairness, you know, Vinales in particular for, for Yamaha did very well indeed with what he had. And I thought it was a beautifully judged race. Yeah, he was well. He was magnificent. Uh, he, he he did everything, every single thing he did right. He had patience. He was aggressive when he needed to be. He pushed when he needed to be. Or he needed to push. Uh, he just it was. He's done this before. Now we've seen this before from him. Not, but normally, when he wins in an impressive fashion, he goes kind of full Lorenzo and gets out into the lead early and then runs fast laps. He doesn't often do what he did. Oftentimes, what you expect to happen is if he ends up in this position, uh, his head drops and he finishes in the position he started. He doesn't move his way forward like that. Mm. So that's if you, so. If you're Maverick, you should be encouraged by that. That you've kind of proven to yourself that you can do it. Now he has to make the breakthrough where he has to go out and do it again. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely right. Uh, Dex, I know you have dashed back to, to get in on this. Can you come back in the second hour and we'll talk a bit of Mortal 3 and Mortal 2? Of course, because I want to do some singing. You want to do some songs to sing. Have Hang a on, s- that's my job. Well. Well, well it's, it's, uh, uh, can I give you, can I, can I give you a, a, a Can we do name that tune in one then? Is that what we're going to do? Well, yes. <laughs> it's basically about Fabio uh, Antonio moving from a, 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 a speed up to a Calyx and being much happier. And therefore led me to his song. Right. I'm I'm desperate to hear that. I really am. Dex, for the moment, thank you very much indeed. Declan Brennan, he'll join us in the second hour. When he actually gets his coat off, because he's literally running to the office and and dialed us in there from the US. Dex, brilliant. Thank you very much uh, indeed. Tim Greer, uh, we are on Series 16, Episode 13. Where would you like to go next? Uh, Well, I want to ask Nick a question. Um, and if yes, Nick, if Nick doesn't know the answer to this, then John's welcome to uh, have a go as well. But primarily for Nick, what do the following drivers have in common? Mm-hmm. Alan McNish. Mm-hmm. Hello, Alan McNish. Felipe Massa. Hello, Philip mm-hmm. Massa. Marco Apicella. All Formula 3000 champions. They no, have not. Run, lasted less distance than Nikita Mazepan in their first Grand Prix. It's the correct answer. Oh, that is brilliant. And that brings us on Though, to in fairness, Nick Damon's team-by-team guide to the Bahrain Grand Prix. Hooray! But first. No, not but first. No, there is a but first because I want to... I, I, I am going to you want to, to qualify your answer, the, don't you? The inverted controversy that has no, no, that we can leave that for the F1 news. If you, if no, 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 it, it's intrinsic part of this race. It is, it's part of the team by team because it, it is about the race, and I'm going to, I'm going to call Formula One rank on it um, because you can't go through team by team because it obviously affects how they came in the order they did, and it's very, very simple. If anyone's ever listened to anything, any output by RSL, they will know that John is a stickler for one thing. John, what is that? Well, me and Shea. In fairness, read the regulations, particularly the uh, supplementary standard regulations, the SSRs or whatever they're called in whatever championship you are. The ones that are 
released, published just before the event that tells you about how you can get in and out the pit lane. I'm looking at you, EMG Mercedes. The ones that says how many tyres you can use over the weekend, what you can do before the start. I'm looking at you, several people in IMSA down through the years. Um, All of that stuff is always in that last piece of communication from race control, from the race director, the race stewards, whatever you want. Read the rules. Now, it's interesting because, of course, you're right, John, twice last year. Where did um, you do your practice starts? AMG fell, Mercedes fell foul of obvious rules. The practice start, of course, the closed pit lane. I mean, they, well, they fell foul, but it's not known where it's indicated, obviously. So, obviously, they have now actually got someone in Bricksworth or in the team whose job is to read the rules. I mean, sometimes it's not that difficult because sometimes the rules are read out to you by David Croft in practice two, uh, where he explained very eloquently, surprisingly, without shouting, um, what the rules were going to be for turn four track limits. They're going to be observed in practice two. They're going to be observed in practice three, observed in qualifying, and he went four wheels off. You would lose your time. They were not going to be enforced in the race unless you were you, unless you passed someone and gained a permanent advantage in the race. So anyway, so Mercedes read the rules, and then therefore Lewis Hamilton absolutely, legitimately, not breaking any rules, went off, well, well, sorry, went, took the track as allowed at turn four, apparently 29 times, and Valtteri Bottas several times, and most of the other cars also many times, once they realised what was going on, because they hadn't read the rules. And then, strangely, Michael Massey said, well, we've had enough of that now, so said not to do it anymore. But at this point, no one's cheated. No one's bent a rule. The, the, fact, the fact was, there wasn't a rule. What actually happened was certain drivers or certain teams had read the rules and actually were exploiting what they're supposed to do, what drivers are supposed to do, and find the fastest way around the track. The fact that Red Bull hadn't done it, that's Red Bull's fault. And then, five laps, four laps from the end, Max Verstappen overtook off the track. That's completely different from exceeding track limits and was asked to give the place back. This is not Mercedes being favoured by the FIA. This is not some great conspiracy to destroy the Dutch nation. It's just reading the rules and the rules. And could all the fanboys of whichever hue stop it? Thank you. Now, And once again, Nick Damon and Sam Collins seem to be in complete agreement. No wonder they say Formula One's getting boring. Uh, But we start our (laughs) team-by-team review of the Bahrain Grand Prix with uh, the uh, team that uh, had the driver that finished last, and that was uh, Ul Kali Haas F1 team. Yes, um, right. I think in the annals of appalling... uh, Grand Prix debuts because we did mention earlier about uh, Massa and uh, McNish who both went off were both taken out in a massive accident it wasn't their fault in uh, Australia 2002 I, must, I don't know about Mark Apicella what happened uh, Mazapan who span yeah, Mark Apicella was taken out by someone nah, so, so, so but he spun many many times during qualifying apparently one of them wasn't his fault well the rest were and then fell off the track uh, also uh, on the second corner because he just put t- too much power on and just spun into the barriers. There's a bit of a problem down at the end of the circuit for Hasses. Luckily, no no harm, no foul, apart from three corners off the car and allowed everyone who's already on his case to stop being on his case for his, his personal behaviour and be on his case for his racing behaviour. So things are going particularly well for Mazepin. Um, this is working brilliantly for Mick Schumacher, who also didn't have a particularly good weekend. He was pretty average, and he managed to spin himself uh, coming off the safety car. He was last uh, of those actually finished. Yeah, so he basically, by not being as bad as Mazepin, everyone thinks he's done well. So, you know, 
Well done, Mick. I mean, obviously, I don't think he did badly, but he didn't really do things special. So, has, worse than as expected. Yes, that is true. It's just a bit of a low bar, isn't it? Uh, so, yes, Haas came last, and they will continue coming last for the rest of the year. Uh, Alpine. Alpine, yes. Well, Fernando Alonso, um, who was retired by a wayward crisp packet, or uh, which got into his, his brake duct and overheated the rear brake, I thought was absolutely brilliant this weekend. He, he qualified into Q3. Um, he ran a really feisty race in a car that's a bit kind of chuggy. It's not It's not good. It's not bad. Um, and I thought he, he, he was almost, you know, his sharpness was remarkable considering his time out of the F1 cockpit. Esmer Ocon looked like he got comprehensively beaten by Alonso. It wasn't really the case because in qualifying, he didn't get a chance because he got his final run, which would have or should have taken him into Q2. He got limited in Q1, was stopped by a red flag. Which I think that red flag actually was for the problem that um, Carlos Sainz had. So he couldn't he couldn't get out of Q3. In the race, it was going quite well. He was rear-ended by Sebastian Vettel uh, and got some damage. So I think he ended up finishing out the points in 13. So it, was, it wasn't a very lucky uh, race for either of them. The car isn't brilliant, but I'm sure it can score points moving forward. Williams. Um, George Russell did absolutely all he could do on Saturday. Qualified out of Q- Q3. Brilliant, fantastic. Ran out of tyres. And then the two of them uh, basically trundled around with a car which has a slight issue in it's very, very sensitive to wind direction on one of the windiest races at uh, Bahrain for many years. So they're having a bit of a nightmare. Russell managed to get 14th place beating uh, Mick Schumacher and Sebastian Vettel and the other people who didn't finish. And Nicholas Tiffy retired. I don't know why. I think it was overheating, I think it was. I can't remember exactly why he retired. But I think it's probably just like... one lap down. So uh... Yeah, but he's got a DNF, which means he can get a new gearbox, though. Yeah. Uh, Scuderia, mm, Alfa so, Tauri, yes. Honda. Yeah. Well, again, it, Yuki Tsunoda, who looked fantastic all through the weekend, managed to slightly muck up qualifying so he didn't actually get into Q3 Pierre Gasly did take the car into Q3 and qualified very very well unfortunately got involved um, in the uh, early melees and took off his front wing in an instant with uh, Danny Ricciardo uh, at that point he was uh, sort of condemned to trundling round at the back and they also re- and so they just effectively pulled the car out again with two or three laps to go they got all the uh, the information they wanted about how the car was running uh, and then they just decided to take him out again to get a new gearbox Yuki Tsunoda um, managed to put in an excellent debut race uh, the highlight of which was him coming up the inside of uh, Lance Stroll on the last lap to steal ninth and get a couple of points on his debut but uh, looking very good Yuki got a, got a lot of very positive feelings about, about Yuki Tsunoda and, and Nikita Mazepan are on complete opposite spectrums for uh, rookies one is Everyone thinks he's great, and one everyone thinks he's awful. So, and I can't see that changing much, to be honest. But Snowy, yeah, good weekend for him. I think he probably would have hoped for a couple more points with a better qualifying. But it was quite a chaotic start to the race, anyway. And Gasly had an engine problem on Sunday morning as well, didn't he? Yeah, they've had the, the, there was a number of little uh, little Honda problems actually. There was a, but all of them based around it seemed the electrical system. We had. Um, I think Gasly and uh, Perez had new electrical, um, the, the control electronics and battery packs, not necessarily because they failed, just because they were seeing things were slightly wrong with them. And of course, we'll come to later, Perez had a, quite, had a problem at the start of the race. Uh, let's move on to Aston Martin, Cognizant Formula One team. Do you mean Aston Martin is not our fault? It's the rules. The low, they're repenalising the low rate cars. It's not fair. It's not fair. Wah, wah, wah. Copyright Otmar Saf now. Every time he's like a microphone under his nose all weekend. Um Literally, the, the, I mean, we the, all the, thought the, the, that uh, uh, Sebastian Vettel would come in and uh, start winning races again, and uh, Lance Stroll would be nowhere, and that's what happened, isn't it? 
No. Um, the car is not very good in comparison to the other cars. It, it, it's true that they have suffered more of the regulation changes, but that's because they copied the team um, that was being penalised by the FIA for being too good. So their copycat car got clobbered. Um, Vettel had an awful weekend to get, which is worrying. Um, because it's like, mm, I'm not too sure about this. Mm, you know, it, it, can he actually turn it round? Uh, made a mistake in front of a yellow flag in qualifying, got kicked to the back and got three penalty points. They made a mistake coming into turn one and, and rear-end Espan Ocon got two more penalties. He got five penalty points in one weekend and finished towards the end. And everyone went, oh, that's not very good. I thought Lance Stroll was quite good, actually. Mm. Um, he got himself into Q3, which has been his problem qualifying, and that car is not is not a good car this year. So again, it was quite good. Um, ran in the points most of the time. I think he'd be upset. He lost ninth on the last lap, but I thought Lance did a pretty decent job actually. Um, so yeah, good, well done, Lance and Sebastian. Mm, they, they're going to need to do a lot of work in the next two or three weeks. And what they probably need to do is go and look at some of the work that Mercedes did to make the car work a little, a little bit slightly better with its low rake environment. Vettel, of course, got a penalty for not slowing down in qualifying. Yeah, three points. Um, three penalty points and back of the grid. And back of the grid, or five grid positions. Um, well, there weren't five, there were there, there weren't five <laughs> available, because even with his uh, lap where he didn't slow down for double-wave jellos, um, he wasn't faster than his fastest lap. Uh, let's no. move on to Alfa Romeo uh, Racing Orlen. Alfa Romeo, who managed to get nothing out of the weekend by coming 11th and 12th, but at the same time looked significantly better than last year. Mm. So last year they were stuck in Division 3, Division C, with um, Williams and Haas. What unfortunately happened for, for the competitors, Haas have dropped off the back of that. Williams have improved a little bit, and Alfa Romeo have, in, have improved enough to very much touch the back of the midfield. So we've now got three bits at the end, like a kind of a splintered end to the, to the season. So I mean, my, my guess is that if all the cars finished you would end up seeing both Hasses, then both Williams at the back, the back, the back four cars. And then you would, I think Alfa Romeo would have a chance of getting some points every now and again. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, I thought they did quite well. Giovinazzi was unlucky, actually, because he had a, a long pit stop that wasn't covered by the, the TV. And he lost around about, um, I think, 10 seconds or something uh, with that. And we, with that, he probably would have got on the race lap. And he may well have beaten Kimi Raikkonen, but it, was, it would only have been who came 11th, who came 12th. But Giovinazzi, again, had a good weekend. And he, of course, he needs a big year. He, it's, you know, it's by no means guaranteed. Well, at the moment, everyone thinks he's gonna, this is his last year. So he needs Luckiest to man in Formula off. 1, isn't he? He was, he is, but I thought he was good this weekend. I thought he did a good job. I mean, and that Alfa Romeo looks much better than the, uh, much better improvement than the other two of the back of the grid cars. Maybe he it looks just, fabulous. Uh, um, feeling down because he had a terrible car last year and uh, now the better car has improved him as a driver. Well, I mean, it goes to show that they've obviously benefited from having a car which was high rates and they just developed it a bit, but obviously they got the free 40 or 45 horsepower. So, you know, which the other, which has done nothing to Haas, but has obviously uh, helped move the other two Ferrari cars up relative to the back, to the area they were within. It's, uh, it's, a, free also, le- it's a free leap forward. They also used their uh, jeton for a new nose, didn't they? Yes, yes. But the jetons, it's all, it's all kind of a, it's, it's really about how you make the, the car work as an overall piece. And I think it's interesting that the Sauber Alfa Romeo have actually done some development on their car in, in a way that appears to have been rather positive. Uh, let's move on to Scuderia Ferrari mission win now. Yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> I think it's kind of, they're probably quite pleased. Can we not the call the so, minimum mission or something like that? 
Yes. We call them Ferrari erroneous bit of green on the side. What's that there for? Do you know, uh, it's amazing <laughs> how quick you can forget that that's there. Because by the end of the weekend, yeah. I wasn't seeing that at all. That's because I the cars were so far back, you didn't see it at all. Well, that's well I, I have to think that anybody, any, I would love to know what Andy Blackmore's opinion of this. Because I think any professional livery designer must be sitting there going, who got paid for that? Because it's awful. I mean, you know, you've got an iconic design is you avoid green, isn't it? So you avoid slapping things around such a random order. Anyway, the um, I think they they obviously did better than last year, which is a great start. Charles Leclerc um, qualified brilliantly in fourth, dropped to sixth in the race. Carlos Sainz had some problems during qualifying with the car cutting out and going, and got to eighth. Um, they're looking a little bit like they're probably going to be fighting with Alpha Tauri and. Uh, McLaren for the uh, third place overall, and you kind of feel they'll be able to outdevelop the others. So there's a good chance they may have moved the car forward. It did look much better, and, but they're coming from again a low standard, and really should Ferrari be aiming for third? No, they should be aiming for first and second. But it's uh, it's baby steps, isn't it? I'm just trying to think of Formula One cars that look good with green on them. There was that Minardi in the mid nineties, wasn't Jordan there? Jordan one nine one. Yeah, seven up, seven yeah. up, Jordan. There was a little bit of green it. on the uh, My Earth. Dream car. Well, yeah, I'm going to say any Lotus, any Lotus that ever lived before we had sponsorship. Well, oh, no, before sponsors is different because it, it, it wasn't very difficult to work your colours out then, was it? <laughs> BRMs, Lotus. Yeah, the British Racing Green ones had no issue whatsoever because they were just British Racing Green. You know, get another ta- can of Dulux, boys. Uh, McLaren F1 team. Um, brilliant. Yeah, I mean, this is this has turned out to be a great start. And this is the car that is cobbled together from two. This is the cut and shut car. It's the back end of Mercedes, the front end of a Renault, effectively. Um, and they've done a great job. I mean, I think, you know, um, Danny Rick was out-qualified Lando and then was beaten in the race. Um, I think two reasons. One, because he wasn't quite so used to the car. And also in the in the collision that cost uh, Pierre Gasly's nose, they reckon there's a little damage underneath the car as well. So he, he came seventh. He's a fine performance in a midfield car. Um, when four positions were blocked, the top two teams all came in the top six, the top five, sorry. But Lando with fourth is a brilliant performance. I mean, he raced really, really well. He, he took the opportunity he had. He got, he passed Charles Leclerc. Sergio Perez couldn't get back to him after his problems. And I should think McLaren would be very, very pleased indeed with this. And, and you know, the only problem they've got is that they are benefiting from the special diffuser, which is completely legal. But by the time we get to Imola, um, it's likely that that will have been copied by some of the other teams and certainly improvised. So everyone may be getting the extra few pounds of rear downfall from that design. Uh, Are they the sticky up bits or the drop me down bits? Drop me down bits. Drop right. me down bits. I did, I, I did want to clear that up in it's technical very, terms. It's, it's a very important question. Yeah, Sad mites or solid tights, John. That's the thing. Uh, <laughs> uh, next we move on to Red Bull Racing. The team just hasn't learned, has it? In what way? Don't favour one driver and build everything around one driver because oh, in a race you need two drivers. Well, I think that that's not really fair, but I will say that uh, Red Bull have the fastest car, and they didn't win. Red Bull have the fastest car. They were handed that race by poor uh, tactics by Mercedes on two occasions during the race. They picked the wrong time to pit um, Lewis, and they pit after that they picked the wrong time to pit. Bottas, and then the mess. Bottas has pit stop up. So actually, there's three things. Red Bull will not get a better opportunity to win a Grand Prix this no, year. No, Red Bull should. Red Bull should have won that race. Um, but we'll go into that in a minute. Um, Perez absolutely underperformed in qualifying um, to end up in 11th place. 
But of course, then he had the car cut out on the warm-up lap, which cost one lap of the race, which may have actually also been uh, important. It's a very good point. In that point, so it may well Perez cost Red Bull victory. But once he got the car going again, which appeared to be a, a control alt delete from the driver's stand, which is, is interesting, it means obviously that that uh, is a self-starting engine in the Honda. Um, he drove. Not any wrong. of them could be self-starting because you don't forget you've got battery pack. Not all of them have it fitted. It hasn't always been. Oh, so you can't always bump effectively bump start. Them. No, I think oh, I, I, it's yeah. a good question because the Mercedes didn't used to have that capability. They may well have it now. Um, it, historically, they didn't have it. I, I absolutely haven't seen them do so it. So basically, may what have. we're saying, by the way, if you don't know what we're talking about, if you've got electric power, then clearly, if you can use that to get yourself going then effectively you can stick it into third, drop the clutch and try and turn the combustion engine over and get it running again. Yes, because these cars don't have starter motors, remember? Correct. Um, but, um, yeah, so they might I mean, have starter natives now, though, mightn't they? That's a good point, actually, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Perez, I thought, and if you look at Perez's uh, lap times, in the race, and obviously this is a tyre-saving race, so it plays, plays into his hands, mm. he, was very, he was as quick as, as, as Max on a number of the laps. But, yes, I mean, the one-lap pace is worrying because he needs to start in a position where he can influence um, strategy, and he didn't do it that time. Half his fault and half the car's fault. Um, Verstappen, I mean, he must be, must be disappointed because he should have won that race, and he should have won that race easily. Um, my feeling is that, yes, he was, again, he was impetuous in going past Lewis outside of turn four. And I just don't understand why he couldn't do it again. Oh, he got a bit over to, he had 10, 10 lap newer tires. And, I, and, I, and I, one of the reasons I'll tell you right now, when Lewis came out for his first, so his second stint for Lewis, Lewis was told to, you know, he needed he, he needed to, to break the undercut, so he had to go as fast as possible. He put in a couple of absolutely blisteringly quick laps on the hard tyres, so two and a half seconds faster than what Verstappen was doing. But that set of tyres was dead after 15 laps. Now, the next set of tyres, Lewis was absolutely circumspect. He was absolutely light loafing. Look at the lap times. He was only gaining 0.7 or 0.6 on Verstappen each time because he was he was running to a time to save the tyres so they'd last the 28 laps. Yeah. Whereas Verstappen, when he got his final set of hards on, came out of the, the floor and went two and a half seconds faster. And basically, he burnt his tyres out, which is why he dramatically got them close. And then it took him a long time to get near. So, so and if you remember, it was actually a, 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 a pit wall thing saying, Max, remember, you've got to have something left at the end of this because he just went too quick. He went off too fast. Didn't measure his tyres, and, 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 and Red Bull knew it because they saw what happened with Lewis when he had to. But Lewis had to go fast at that point to, to beat the undercut. So I'm afraid I think Max absolutely should have won that race, and Red Bull should have won that race. Um, but they handed it to Mercedes, who effectively used the one weapon that no one else has, and that's uh, Lewis Hamilton. Um, because I don't believe that any other driver would have won that race in the Mercedes. I don't, and, and I do believe, as we said many times during the Ferrari years of 17 and 18, that if Lewis had been the Red Bull, he'd have won. Um, there is just a difference in, in ability. And, and, and this, oh, he only wins, he's got the best car. People need to start looking at the facts and not their prejudices. Max you know, didn't make a major mistake, but his, his inexperience shown he was too eager to try and win the race. You know, I'm not saying he's not going to win more race. I'm not saying he's not going to be the world champion this year because the car is a lot better than the Mercedes. But you can't go giving these things away. Um, Valtteri Bottas um, had a bit of an average wingman race, which he's probably going to moan about. Um, but he was off pace by enough, two or three tenths. And then he tried to moan about it. And you think, no, you, you can't moan about it when you're off when you're off the pace of the team leader. You just accept what you get. Um, so well done, Mercedes. Um, I'm sure Red Bull will be upset, but there's obviously 
a lot to go and we've got but we've got a three-week gap now and there's a lot of work for um, Mercedes to do to try and catch up and whether but they obviously have a, a big area to shoot at they know what the problem is and they can they can start working on it whereas whereas Red Bull had this issue where they got a really really good car how do you improve it? it's four tenths faster in qualifying it's four tenths faster on a power circuit than a Mercedes that's amazing you say Verstappen's inexperienced, but he's done 120 Formula One races now. Yes, but he's inexperienced of being under any sort of pressure. Whenever he's been under pressure, he hasn't delivered. It might, but sorry, many times when he's been under pressure, he hasn't delivered. And that's the thing. It's very easy to be fast if you're if you're relaxed and there's nothing on it. You know, it's the 17th. It's the 16th race of the year. You've got a chance for winning Mexico. Yeah, I'll go for it. No problem. No pressure. I'll just win the race. Great. But he was expected to win. He was expected to win in Turkey. Didn't happen. He was expected to win here. Didn't happen. Now, I'm not saying it's a pattern because obviously he's growing and improving every week. But at the moment, that's what he's missing out on. You know, and you know, you've got to revitalise Lewis because don't forget how disinterested Lewis was just two weeks ago in, in testing. And suddenly, you know, he, he's all over the car. And that's not just because he's improved it. It's because that's what's floating his boat. And then that, that's the thing. So, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm very surprised that Mercedes won. But I do believe in ties that Max and, and Red Bull lost it. I, I think mm. that's that's the right part of it. Um, Red Bull lost it. Um, Mercedes handed it to them on a plate and they still couldn't convert. Let's have a look at some of the tweets. Dave Olcock says, Green on F1 cars. May I nominate the side pods on Williams FW07? Oh, yeah. Great. Yeah, a mm. bit of green. bit of green there. Absolutely. Uh, Jean Schutt... Uh, uh, that's uh, JG, isn't it? Uh, Johannes uh, says, proof if proof were needed that F1 is not to be taken seriously. Imagine FIFA changing the size or shape of the field during a football match, or indeed even between uh, the knock-up and the game itself, uh, which is effectively what happened between practice and qualifying but the race. It's, it's the same fine as long as everybody. they tell everyone that they're going to do it, it's which the they same did. For everybody. Well, no, no, I, 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 I'm not saying that that's... JG, that's Johannes's uh, point uh, on this uh, campaign. They've dug themselves into a huge hole. Needs consistently consistency. Surely the white line should be considered as a wall. It's the edge of the track. Going outside is off the track. I don't disagree with that. And they've got the technology to look at it. I don't care what anybody says. Uh, Michael Hetherington says, gaining an advantage. That whole thing needs to be chucked in the bin. All four wheels beyond those white lines, which denote the edge of the track. Drivers should be penalised. Simple as. Um, This is what's coming from our listeners, right? And and you can understand the frustration of people because it seems to be different rules at at different times. And yes, what we said all of the time between um, read the rules, absolutely. Um, Alexander Orkin, and and I will put this one to you, says, Mm -hmm. did when Verstappen did the uh, the restitution effectively, did he do it at the wrong part of the track? Well, everyone suddenly gained 2020 hindsight, but he went past. Michael Massey went to Christian Horner, uh, no, give it back. Christian Horner went, oh, oh no, give it back. And he gave it back. I mean, it's, it, you kind of know you, what you're... I don't I, I think that's what drivers would have done. It was on a straight. Um, you know, it happened quite soon afterwards. Uh, oh, what you should have done is giving it back on the straight and then immediately DRS. Well, it's not possible. You can't immediately DRS them because you wouldn't have DRS. So, yeah, I mean, I think I think what 
the problem was not where he gave it back, but because when he then followed Lewis up the top of the circuit, he got that massive snap of oversteer, which caused him a lot of problems and lost him three quarters of a second. That was the issue because he got himself behind Lewis at that point. I mean, the concept of letting him person pass and then immediately overtaking again 400 yards later would not have gone down well with the stewards at all. We'll have some more. Um, that was the, the team by team. We'll have Formula One news and a bit of F2 um, as well in mm. our number two. Tim Gray, uh, we're, we've got just over 12 minutes to go to the end of this first hour on Midweek Motorsport. It is Series 16, Episode 13. And where to? Uh, Bristol. All right, my lover. Uh, in the dirt. And unfortunately... Uh, for <laughs> Honestly, you could still say what I've just said. Yep. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, it was quite wet for most of the weekend as well. Uh, Shay Adam. Uh, Joey Logano. Hello. Hello. Uh, Joey Logano has become the seventh different race winner this season. And they've only had seven races. Yeah, and- Exactly. Um, at the beginning of the year, there was a lot of uh, questions around how many different race winners would be possible for this uh, 2021 NASCAR season. And I think it was Andy Lally who said, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see 16 different winners out of, you know, 32 races. Well, honestly, we could have a season where every race is won by somebody different. But the, the thing that I find kind of funny, if you look at the point standings right now, Denny Hamlin leads the way. How many wins does he have this year? Zero. Yeah. Brad Keselowski is in fifth. How many wins does he have? Zero. So clearly winning isn't everything in terms of getting into the playoffs. Uh, it might count by the end of the year. Because obviously all uh, of the people who've won are automatically in. But everybody else. Well. Would... Go on. N- not if we have more than 16 winners. Uh, yes. Good point. Then it will come. That's a very good point. But if we have, let's say we have. 17 winners or or, or the or the top 16 points scoring winners in correct so so, it, so if you top the points so if Denny Hamlin goes through to the end of the regular season and doesn't win a race but has the most points but he doesn't have a win he doesn't get in uh he would then be the regular season champion and i think that in and of itself has in effect a playoff spot But there was some talk earlier on in the year because, of course, with Michael McDowell winning the Daytona 500 this year, there is the possibility that somebody who wins a race will not then have enough points to make it through to the playoffs. Particularly if they're not doing a full season. Exactly. But yeah. but in years past, we've had um, think back when Kyle Busch, for example, um, he came back from injury. He missed a few races over the course of the season and then did still make the playoffs. That was because he had the win. If we have more wins, uh, more winners than playoff spots, just because you have a win doesn't mean you're in. It, it will go to, in effect, a position where the people with the most points will make it. And we've got enough talent in the Cup Series this year where that very well could be a situation we're faced with. Now that uh, Jimmy Johnson is no longer doing NASCAR, can they just abolish the playoffs? <laughs> well, neither, Jim, neither Jimmy Johnson or um, Dale Earnhardt Jr. So is there any point? Well, the the playoffs were um, Tim Tim hit it right on. Um, partially instituted to stop Jimmy Johnson from winning so many championships year on year because he and Chad Knauss became basically invincible. Um, and then the playoff situation came into play and he stopped winning the championships. It is more 
of a spectacle when you have that win and you're in sort of thing, particularly when it's three races to make it onto the next round. So it does make the playoffs. It makes the final races of the season a bit more exciting. I I will give them that. Uh, Tell us about the dirt though. Uh, The dirt was quite problematic. Um, The race was supposed to be on Saturday. Let me say that first and foremost. It actually took place on Monday because of some severe weather in the area. And having been in Virginia this weekend and been around some of the lightning storms, yeah, it was uh, it was quite spectacular. Um, But the dirt, when they did get running, it was very clumpy. It led to some overheating issues, actually. At one point, I think it was Kyle Busch had to come into the pit lane to basically clean out the grill. He never really regained the position lost on that. But they also had to have more, basically, stage breaks, more caution periods to try and maintain the track surface. They had both... um, both of the series that were running on the dirt run in the same day, the trucks, and then a little bit later on, it, they did have the cup race. But it wound up being the kind of thing where you would get going and then something would happen. And a lot of cars did get damaged. But they announced that they will be going back to Bristol on the dirt next year as well. I like Andy Lally's idea of having um, a dirt road course. Which yeah, I think yeah. is I think it's absolutely immense. It was a lot. It was a lot of effort, but it went down well. I also like Nick Tandy's comment on Twitter. What's all this fuss about the dirt? Have you have you never seen British stock car racing on the shale when it's pouring down <laughs> rain at Rye House or various other places around the country? Which I thought was funny. And Aaron Churchill, who we all know. Uh, here on uh, Radio Show Limited, was like, what What are these places? Are they somewhere out of Harry Potter? That she was <laughs> ta- talking about, which was funny. Uh, it it kind of worked. Um, would it have been better with fans there? M- most definitely, I'm sure. Um, and those people standing right next to the edge would have got uh, the gravel burn like I used to get when I used to stand at uh, Gosforth Park watching Newcastle <laughs> Larder Diamonds as they were. In the in those days, Dex has just said road road cars on dirt is rally cross. Hey, yeah, I, I, Dex, I'm not going to disagree with that, and I'd still vote for it. Uh, imagine 42 cars on rally cross. That'd be fantastically bonkers uh, for five hours under the lights somewhere while it's raining. Just just great. Um, it it kind of worked. It uh, it got. I, I don't know what the television numbers by the time it happened was, but there was quite a lot of interest about it. Generated a lot of social media. So clearly, NASCAR share uh, believed it worked. Yeah, they did, and that's why they waited wasted no time in announcing that they would be coming back to another dirt race at Bristol next year. Which, um, yeah, we'll see how it goes. I mean, there were more highlights being shown on social media on Monday of the various wrecks that were going on than I saw of any good racing. Now, that that could just be a, a typical NASCAR thing that you do tend to see the, the wrecks on social media. But it was interesting to see so many people. Um, I'm, I'm thinking even of Kyle Larson. He was heavily favored to win that race. He finished 29th way further down in the running. So a lot of people that everyone expected to do well didn't, and people that weren't really considered contenders were. Do we have time for a bit of IMSA news? Hang on, here. no. Oh, all right, go on, sorry. Uh, what about uh, all the unlucky people in the campsite? 
all the unlucky people on the campsite? I, I don't know. It flooded to quite a depth. Oh, no. Yes. Oh, jeez. Uh, Alan Prosser, what if there's more than 16 winners and a driver gets more than one win but not enough points? Does he get a spot? I don't think so. It still it comes ah wait a minute it comes down to wins first and then points of those that's got a win. Other than the person that wins the championship, it's of a market day on Stockton, and then it's a reverse grid for race two, but not for race three, which goes oh no that's F two isn't it? Because that's been it so long. <laughs> so, Alan, the answer is just go with it, man. That's, that's the only only thing to say. <laughs> Absolutely, the only thing to say. So, having uh, moving on, having raced on uh, dirt now, what's Imza's next uh, thing that they're going to test? NASCAR. NASCAR. They are testing, and brace yourself for this: rain tires in Martinsville. Da, 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 da. On the on the oval. Yes. Yeah. On the paperclip. Interesting, but look, that that they can't just test rain tires. They'll have to have windscreen wipers as well. Uh, not if they put enough Rain-X on it and they go fast oh, enough. Oh, no, 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 not when you get, listen, <laughs> when you get dirt. Listen, you can have your screen, and I speak from experience, you can have your screen or your visor uh, with as much Rain-X as you can get on it. But if you start to get little bits of dirt on there, it just mm. doesn't. And particularly around Martinsville, what sort of speed do they get up at Martinsville? 80, 90 miles an hour, maybe 100 miles an hour? I was going to say higher than that, but yeah, it could be. It might not be quick enough to clear the screen. They're going to need wipers. Mm. They are True. going to need wipers, I reckon. But uh, didn't they put wipers on a few years ago at Watkins Glen? Yes. Yeah, I think they run wipers. Oh, did I make that up? The, I may have courses. dreamt it. Saw it in a cartoon once. Thought it might have worked. Montreal in the uh, Xfinity series. They had... Uh... Yeah. They had wipers. They had rain tyres and rain and wipers, I think. Hmm. Um, well, um, think back to Road America last year. It poured in the Xfinity race. I think they did have wipers going. Yeah. Uh, which drivers are going to be doing this test, which I think is tomorrow, isn't it, Shay? I believe it is. Um, I can't remember who's going to be in that one. Uh, it'll be Carl Larson in the uh, five uh, Chevrolet. And Chris Boucher in the 17 hmm. Ford. So no Toyota invited. That's interesting. Um, yes, you would hope that it rains now. You'll be doing your uh, rain dance for Martinsville. I mean, they're, they're planning for a damp track rather than a uh, fully uh, wet track. But uh, it's a step forward, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and it is a two-day test, is it not, at Martinsville? Yes. Yeah, so I guess maybe they're having Chevy and Ford run on one day and then Toyota run on the the second day. Um, They probably don't want too many cars on track, actually, because that'll move too much water, especially if it's a damp track. They want to see what it's going to hold up as. Yes, we shall see. Uh, NASCAR spokesman said, although it happens to fall on April Fool's Day, uh, this is the real thing and a real test, and we'll report back on Friday how it went. (laughs) <laughs> that's mega uh, Shay Adam will be back in the second hour of the show uh, but quickly before you go at this point do we have a result from Rose Atlanta uh, sorry from Sebring yet yes yes we do have official results fantastic we shall talk about that in the second hour of the show John Tim <laughs> sorry 
<laughs> no clue. What would you like to do next? Please report any unattended bags to a member of... Oh, hang on. <clears throat> Wrong script. Is Midweek Motorsport and still to come. Uh, coming up in the second half of tonight's programme, we will have more Nick Damon, more uh, Shea Adam... Uh, and more of your tweets on at Specutainment as we discuss a bit of F2 news, some more Formula One gossip, I'm sure, as well. We'll have a bit more uh, Declan Brennan as well. A uh, bit of IMSA news to come through. And after the show tonight, it's historic racing news. Paul Tarsi with the team talking about the brand of Aston Martin um, before now. You know, the real brand of Aston Martin. Uh, that's all on Historic Racing News at 10 tonight following Midweek Motorsport. But next, some hypercar tyre news here on Midweek Motorsport. Midweek Motorsport on RS1. Sorry, I forgot to fade you up again after that. Don't worry. Uh, so, a couple of weeks ago at uh, Sebring International Raceway for the Mobile One 12 Hours of Sebring, um, we had, uh, uh, on our uh, Michelin Countdown to Green, uh, we had Tony Bernard from Michelin Motorsport North America on. And uh, when I'd been talking to him earlier on the week, we'd had another chat, which he was happy for us to share with you about how things are going on the development of hypercar tyres in the WEC and how it affects what they're doing in North America with their future plans. We are following the topic carefully with, uh, with our colleagues in, in Europe because uh, uh, first there, there's a team uh, who is in LMH with some uh, American roots if I may say, uh, <laughs> Glickenhaus. Uh, and, and, uh, and so we are extremely attentive to the evolution of the situation. I think uh, uh, it's promising. And uh, I'm, I'm looking forward, and this is why we are staying extremely close to what is happening in Europe, but to, uh, to see the, uh, the concept as it was described by IMSA and ACO to become uh, real and to have... Uh, LMH uh, being competitive at Daytona, to have LMDH uh, uh, competitive on both sides of the ocean. So, so that's, that's a, a, a bright future for endurance racing and, and look forward to it. Is there specific challenges, Tony? Because the LMH cars are quite a lot heavier uh, as a prototype than, than what Michelin's had to deal with in the LMP1 and even the LMP1 hybrid, Eva. Yeah, that's definitely a different challenge from a technical standpoint. Uh, you mentioned the load and, 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 and the way it is uh, splitted between the front and the rear and, and what will be asked to the tires uh, is different. So, so for our uh, technical team uh, from the beginning, it has been almost uh, uh, restarting from a blank page uh, in, a, in a constrained delay huh, because uh, between the announcement and the first uh, car. But fortunately, um, our simulation tools and everything that we can do now thanks to uh, uh, the simulation part, you know, is, is saving a lot of time and is allowing us to 
arrive on track for the first practice session better prepared than it was in the past. And will what you're learning now with LMH, with the hypercars of LMH, and I accept that effectively in Europe right now, we've got three different solutions. We've got Toyota uh, with the hybrid, we've got Glickenhaus without the hybrid, and we've got Alpine with the Orica Rebellion LMP1 car. But what you're learning with the new breed of hypercars, does that help for LMDH, DPI 2.0, coming in in a, a year or so's time, or will that have to be another blank sheet of paper? I would say it's a little bit between both. Um, it, it helps because uh, the addition of some load, you know, is, is, is changing the constraint that I always suffer. But the specificities of the cars will be quite different. So uh, we have to, uh, because we had the pleasure to be the supplier for that, you know, we have to make sure that the solution we will propose for LMDH will uh, fit the characteristic of these cars. And, and, and this is why, again, it's extremely important to start discussing with the OEMs who are involved as soon as possible. And, and, and we, are, we have already engaged and we are quite advanced in the discussion. Uh, and, and we will welcome all the new OEMs who would like to enter uh, this LMDH category. And I presume then that the idea from Michelin's point of view is not to be part of performance balancing. You want to give an LMH or an LMDH customer the very best tyre that you can. And, and that sounds to me like that's likely to be two different, maybe not very different, but two different solutions. Yeah, I, th- I think racing for us is a laboratory, you know, uh, this is where we put innovation and, and, and uh, where we prepare the sustainable mobility of tomorrow. And, and um, we are applying to racing the same recipes and that we are applying for the passenger car we designed for uh, our, our, our street cars. I think we want to deliver the best performances, uh, performances that last uh, in order to make sure that uh, the customer and in that case we are talking about the teams we are talking about the racers but as well the partners like IMSA or ACO on the other side of the world will be happy and, and uh, so we are doing our best uh, but it has to be consistent this notion of we are in endurance racing because this is the place where we can demonstrate that performance is that last concept Tony Menard talking to me a couple of weeks ago at Sebring with tyres being fitted in the background, which I uh, really uh, liked. Interesting. Nick Damon still with us. Shea Adams still with us as well here on Midweek Motorsport as we uh, are now in the second hour of Series 16, episode number 13. Uh, Nick, I thought it was really interesting what Tony was saying there about the ability to give each version of the cars that will be in the hypercar class because let's not forget rather confusingly there's hypercar there's lmp1 uh, actually there's two or three different types of potentially of hypercar um, then there's lmp1 then there's potentially lmdh coming in as well but really important to give everybody the best solution possible that's very michelin isn't it yeah, absolutely, because, of course, the, the different ways you decide to put the power down, are you, you two-wheel drive, are you four-wheel drive, 
massively affects the construction requirements of the tyres. Now, obviously, they may, they may well try and even up with compounds to avoid um, favouritism, but you will need a different construction. If you're, if you're driving all four wheels, you're driving two, and obviously putting 700 horsepower through the rear wheels rather than 400. So, yeah, I mean, they, it, 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 the last thing you want is a one-size-fits-nobody or just one team. Uh, and also, Shea, it's clearly going to affect what happens going forward in LMDH DPI 2.0 uh, in IMSA. And they might not be able to learn an awful lot uh, because of the difference in those regulations between LMH and LMDH. But Michelin being Michelin, every bit of data they will be considering and, and North America will be talking to their, their European counterparts. Yeah, it's exactly what we've come to expect from Michelin after all these years working with GTLM. They develop the tires for the cars, and just because they don't necessarily translate directly from the GTLM car to the GTE Pro car doesn't mean that there's not still some direct heritage coming from each. And you look at the fact that Corvette Racing runs over at the 24 Hours of Le Mans, they have to use a slightly different compound of tire when they run in Europe versus when they run in the U.S., but they're still compatible enough to the point that when Corvette Racing goes testing for Le Mans at Road America, with that different tire, they're able to put a setup on the car that they know will work because they already know the tire. Uh, let's quickly run through a few IMSA stories share while we've got you. Uh, Porsche have had a lot of good news recently, and we've got more Porsche news to come uh, later on. New GT3R set for uh, a rollout in the uh, 2023 season. This will follow on using the new 992 body style after we saw the competition debut at Sebring for the Cup car. Uh, and obviously, this is a customer car, and again, it will be make it, quite frankly, form an orderly queue right now because people will be <laughs> putting their nibs down. Yeah, for sure. And you look right now, Porsche is the most uh, prolific manufacturer. It's a manufacturer of choice in GTD. As a matter of fact, we've got four full-season Porsches entered, so you would expect to see Team Hardpoint, FAF, and Wright Motorsport at the very least uh, with their arms outstretched and saying, Oh, please, please, can I can I get one of those, sir? Um, so, yes, I expect to see a lot of them running around in IMSA in uh, the coming years. Yeah, d- expecting to see that car with a few outings uh, on proving in 2022 for a 2023 launch. Of course, we've got a new GT Daytona, GT3 car uh, next year. That's the BMW. Uh, that, as far as we know, is the only all-new uh, GT, Daytona, GT3 car for everything in Porsche's GT3. So I'm trying to make the the, <laughs> the differential uh, there uh, on on that. So really Porsche following in the footsteps of, of BMW and, and upgrading and updating their current machinery then. Yeah, and the only other manufacturers, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, um, Audi and Lamborghini have said that they'll just do Evo kits, in effect, for their existing GT3 cars. We wait to find out. We've got, what, nine manufacturers that run in GTD. So uh, Aston Martin, Acura, um, Mercedes. Oh, you've given yourself a massive hill to climb here. Why? Trying to name all the rest of them? Yeah. Uh, Lexus, Mercedes, McLaren, Aston Martin, um, Audi, BMW, Lamborghini, Porsche. Uh, 
think I might have nailed all of them. Um, but in any case, it, it's one of those situations where we know that new cars are going to be applicable. BOP will come into play, of course, but we need to wait and see. A, who turns up, and B, who turns up with what? Yeah, and and still no news about a dedicated... In fact, GM have said there won't be a new dedicated GT Daytona GT3 car, and they're still trying to get IMSA to agree to have them BOP a GT Le Mans car uh, down, which will require the... Which will require the uh, sign-up an agreement of all the other manufacturers. Uh, we, we've had this the other way in years gone by. Do you uh, remember the the BMWs that, that came in, which were essentially GT3 cars, which were allowed <laughs> to come into GTLM? Um, and, uh, you know, that kind of sort of worked, but only kind of sort of. Uh, and, and I wonder if IMSA want to make a, a rod for their own bat again with that. Yeah, um, honestly, and after talking uh, to more teams and and more team personnel in the paddock, everyone's excited about GTD Pro, making no mistakes on that. But the fact is that there are some drivers in particular who are hesitant about the might of Corvette racing coming in to compete against them. There are other teams who are thrilled by the opportunity to try and beat Corvette racing. But there, there is some division within the paddock after which path to go down. And I, to be honest, I don't know. I'm, I'm torn on the decision. I really want to see Corvette racing GT cars in IMSA. Mm. But also, the team can do other things, and they've proven in the past. It doesn't matter what Pratt and Miller are running. They're going to run it well, and they're going to be a competitive team. Yeah, don't disagree with, with any of that. Uh Acura making progress uh, on their LMDH design studies. They're working with the chassis. It's what we're expecting. We haven't seen the new LMP2 chassis yet, Nick. Um, we know who they're coming from, but we're yet to to see them. Uh, and all the LMDH, DPI 2.0 manufacturers are, are, are really beholden to those new LMP2 cars coming out. Yeah, I mean, I, I heard a thing. I think I think it may. Have, I say I heard a thing. I think it was actually by you guys actually on the uh, the Sebring uh, broadcast that that Porsche have chosen their powertrain. Um, but obviously, well, rumours rumours say they have. Yes, select select their chassis manufacturer. Of course, we are but yet to see the twenty twenty two P two. Obviously, they'll they'll have been given designs. It may be they've already decided. They they thought, well, we, we were going to go with A, B, or C, and not and not worry too much about it, thinking that you know. You know, we can we can put whatever area we want onto it anyway, so we'll make up for any deficiencies. Because obviously, the deficiencies we've seen in the P2 has been because they've had lockdown aero, and you could never catch up again. They weren't because the chassis itself was fundamentally flawed. I don't think. Well, apart from the, um, the Multimatic one, which probably was in the originally Riley one, um, the rest were okay. Uh, yeah. Um, now, what else have I got for you in IMSA? Oh, oh, we've got some calendar news. Uh, uh, Tim will be delighted that we've got some IMSA calendar news and it's this is big news uh, because I think to nobody's surprise here the one day event that IMSA were going to have in the early part of June has now moved to uh, this is in Detroit has now moved to the IndyCar weekend and extended that from two days to three but the big news is GT Le Mans at Detroit for the first time ever, which means 
<laughs> Corvettes on the streets of Belle Isle. Yay. Let's For the first time. Take a moment. Yeah, let's take a moment to appreciate that. We haven't had uh, the similar class of GTLM cars on the streets of Belle Isle since Grand Am days mm. uh, when the GT category was running back. So it has been a long time, but this does have a knock-on effect. Because DPI and GTD are both running at Belle Isle, that is unchanged. GTLM now coming in. It is a non-points round for GTLM. Um, keep in mind, it is a sprint only weekend for GTD, so points are going to be all over the place for that. Um, LMP2, they were supposed to be running at Belle Isle. This actually helps out some of the teams dealing with crash damage and trying to recover from the Mobile One 12 Hours of Sebring. Thinking of Tower Motorsport in particular, they're trying to find a new chassis. They won't race again until uh, Watkins Glen, so that gives them a two-week extension, in effect, to try right. and build up a new car. So that is a very so, good news story for LMP2. So LMP2 is not going to be at Detroit. It's replaced by GTLM. Correct. Right, but GTLM are not racing for championship points. GTLM is a non-points round for whoever shows up, which we're expecting to be the two Corvettes and the Porsche. I've got to ask, what's the point? Just to let Corvette uh, race at home? Yeah, come and, come and race in the shadow of the GM headquarters, quite literally. <laughs> hmm. Fill some uh, grandstands uh, the, with uh, Corvette employees or GM employees. I, I, I like the idea of having GTLM there, but I don't see the point of, of having them there if there's no points because you you might well, particularly with you know with Cooper McNeil and the private Porsche, he might decide. Well, I don't really see the point of going there. Well, and interesting that you mentioned that, John, because still as of right now, um, the 31st of March, for anybody listening on podcast, the Ferrari Challenge weekend at Montreal, which is June 11th through 13th, has not been canceled. So if Cooper mm. is going to keep going in his quest for a fourth consecutive And he does Ferrari like his Ferrari Challenge, challenge and he likes going to Ferrari uh, Finale Mondiale. And so, exactly. And he has prioritized that sometimes over the, the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship in the past. Well, and as a matter of fact, a couple of, uh, two years ago, I believe it was, he missed one of the races at Montreal because he had to come over for scrutineering at the 24 Hours of Le Mans. And there's actually been years in the past where he's missed scrutineering because he's been racing Ferrari Challenge at Montreal. That really is the event on the calendar that a lot of people really look forward to, mm. particularly being on the same stage as Formula One. That's a hard one to bypass. Mm. Agree. Uh, assuming that that happens. Of course, which is um, yes. by TBD. Uh, by no means, uh, I, I can only imagine that some GT Daytona teams uh, will be less than happy about them now not being the the GT category. There, it was one of their <laughs> showcase events, wasn't it? So it it was the only race on the calendar, actually, John, where the uh, in in years past where GTD has run without GTLM. This year's calendar, slightly different. We've got races, uh, the next one, for example, Mid-Ohio, that's DPI, LMP3, and GTD. So that will be more of a spotlight on GTD. But you're right, it, that's one of the races that is sort of a GTD showcase. And we are, in effect, being robbed of that. Just unbelievable. Unbelievable. Um 
Okay. Uh, and uh, in related news, uh, Catherine Legg is uh, heading across to Iron Links in the WEC. Yeah, and Kat is so pumped up about this. She has shared cars in the past with uh, Rahel Frey. They, they've shared the Acura NSX, I believe it was two years ago. And then the Ferrari at the, uh, was it a Ferrari? No, Lamborghini at Daytona uh, last year. So they do have a history of running together. But Kat Legg is now an Iron Dame, and she's going to be making her WEC debut this year becoming the 11th different woman to compete in that championship. I'm, I'm really excited for Kat. Uh, and, and something I know that she's been wanting to do um, for quite a long time. Uh, and so, you know, well, well done. And uh, one quick one as well for the FIA WEC. Um, how about uh, Jackson Evans, Matt Campbell and Christian Reed in the WEC? <laughs> Do you like that lineup in the <laughs> 77 Proton Porsche? Yeah, that's not even fair. That's a stacked lineup. Um, what I love about this lineup even more, though, is the fact that Maddie Campbell and Jackson Evans were roommates for quite some time in Germany. I'm not sure if they're still roommates, but you talk about going racing with your best friend, and it really is going to be BFFs in that car. Shay, uh, don't go too far away. We've got more for you, but Tim right now has some news on tomorrow night's shows. Tomorrow at 8, it's uh, the Simcast, and this week, uh, Matt and Jordan will have Josh Martin and David Perel on to introduce the Sim Grid, which is an organiser of high-profile events for Assetto Corsa Competizione, including their new World Cup series with VCO. That's the Simcast here on RS1 tomorrow at 8pm. Uh, we've got some more sports car news from Europe uh, to come up later on in the show. We'll be talking about uh, new drivers coming into the European Le Mans series, Michelin Le Mans Cup, uh, and uh, other European sports car news. But let's move on to something that I hope Nick Damon will find appealing. <laughs> That was Greece. Greece, Greece is, the, is word. the word. Yeah, at the it start is. of this press release about World Rally Championship. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> See how quickly his enthusiasm wanes. Greece will return to the FIA World Rally Championship for the first time in eight years after the fable Acropolis Rally Greece was added to the 2021 calendar. Yes. The grueling gravel road event forged a reputation as one of the WRC's iconic fixtures after joining the inaugural season in 1973, and WRC promoters finalised a multi-year agreement with the Greek government for the Acropolis to return. As a WEC event? Mega! I I used to like that, uh, Valley. Uh, Sorry, yes. Uh, It will form round 10 of the season on the 9th to the 12th of uh, September, replacing the Kobik Rally Chile, which has unfortunately been cancelled due to continued travel and other governmental restrictions. Uh, The Acropolis was first held in 1951. Yep. How many times has the uh, Acropolis Rally appeared on the World Rally Championship calendar? I'm guessing... 27. This will be the 24th. This will be the 39th. Oh... Wow. Who is the winningest driver of the uh who is the, rally? Who is the Harry Vatland's won the most? Who's the per, who's the driver who's won it the most, you mean? Yes. 
Well, Nick said Vatanen. Um, clearly, it's not him. Uh, Stig Blomqvist. It's Colin McRae. Oh, okay. How many? Three or four? Five. Five. Oh, blimey. Yeah, sorry. Wow. Uh, I, I thought I thought there would have been people in earlier years who'd done it uh, more more than that. No. Um, it, this, listen, this is Which great because is the uh, start of the rally, the Acropolis, the Parthenon. Okay. Um, I, I think this is great because this is a proper, old-fashioned, traditional. Dowie says, as we've mentioned, McCrea, a legacy event. Um, uh, and see what I did there. Um, uh, and this is, ex- I think this is good. I think this is good for the, the listen, Nick, I, I know you have your doubts about rallying in in total. but I am happy for everyone to, ha- to yeah, no, enjoy. No, 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 no. Wait till I, he- I ask you the question. But, but surely in any championship to recognise your past, and to to have the classic events, they're the absolute bedrock. They are, you know, the cornerstones of any championship, aren't they? Well, seeing as I was in the TR today, I think we should bring back the Rome Liège Rome. Sorry, Liège Rome Liège uh, rally non-stop the whole way in uh, in lightly modified sports cars. I I don't disagree with you. I think it would be more difficult to do nowadays, particularly in the current climate. But but. I, I don't disagree with you. I like listen. I, I was I was massively impressed by what WRC did with the uh, the Monza rally last year, and I thought you know um, they they actually had lemons uh, and made a rather nice prosecco uh, oh, no. out of it. <laughs> um, it was an extraordinary thing to do, and I think there's a place for those type of events. But I absolutely think that there's a place for these traditional events. And if they I'd, go back I'd, to some of the old stages, it'll be mega. I think they've got themselves stuck in between two parts now. And they actually need to go back to where they were before. So you either got the modern rally, which is ridiculously short, 10-minute TV stages. Yeah. Or you've got Rally Raid, which is six and a half weeks disappearing off and then coming back for a two-minute <laughs> report. What was wrong with yes. the five-day rallies of... Of you know the seventies and eighties, no, William I don't Willard. Disagree. I mean, obviously he's not around anymore. I don't know if William Willard is around, but certainly wouldn't be presenting it. But something in the middle with a bit mm. more kind of endurance about it, and a little no. bit more, you know. Also, you know, I know it's a bit late now. We're all going electric, but surely it would be a much better case of you know for win on Sunday, sell on Monday. But I'm, I realise I'm just stuck in the past most of the time now. It's awful. <laughs> Which two-time winner of the Acropolis Rally, Greece? Am I about to read a quote from? Sebastian. I'm convinced the efforts... Hang on, that's not the right quote. Acropolis Rally Greece, which gets the opportunity to step into the championship, needs no introduction. It's a legendary event featuring some of the world's roughest stages. I have such special memories of it, having competed there as a co-driver on five occasions between 1970 and 1981. John Todd. John Todd, isn't it? And winning it as team principal of Peugeot in 1985 and 1985. Nick shows Look, I I would stay up or, or every night and watch the um, the RAC rally reports on BBC Two. Yeah, I used to love that. Just this modern stuff leaves me cold. What is is it? The cars? Or yes. It, yeah. Yeah. 
it's the car it's the cars and it's so sanitized and yet all and, and i think the biggest problem is that you've got the, you've got a selection of, of econo boxes yes it's very spectacular the first time you see one and go over a jump and go you know full-on you know dukes of hazard star around a corner but when the 11th one's done it literally i just want to pull my nails out um i i give a lot of credit to toyota for building the yaris gr as a road car because it's absolutely brilliant that they have uh, basically taken all their rally technology and put it into a little car that there is no need, but clearly a big desire for. And that will help. And the way people have have consumed that to the fact that you can't get one for 18 months now um, tells me that what has been missing has been a road-going version of some of these rally cars. Let me, let me ask you a question. Which two manufacturers have died on their backsides in the UK in the last five years? Mitsubishi and Subaru. Subaru. And, Mitsubishi. Yeah. and what were they completely built on? They're fantastic rally cars. Well, I realise Subaru the point, have a fantastic business in the States. They don't need us. But Mitsubishi certainly don't. Well, to the point where Mitsubishi is selling off their legacy collection, their historic collection. It's, it's Tiffany Dell's new auction site. New car site has been launched with the fact that they've got all of the Mitsubishi heritage fleet uh, in the UK. Um, Bizarrely being relaunched into Europe, but not into the UK, I hear. I, 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 I sit there and you think they're going, that, it, if ever something showed why you need a Halo product, product for, a, for a workaday brand, it was the success of Subaru and Mitsubishi in the, the noughts. No, agreed. The 95 noughts. And, and I don't understand how they lost that. I know. What, but anyway, carry on. I'm, I'm not, again, I'm not a marketeer. The, the, the problem, the problem is, for any championship that uses quote-unquote street-based cars and yes we know they're not exactly the same if you make them so generic as to be pointless and you can't tell them apart other than actually not even the liveries nowadays because they're all red white and black aren't they um from every manufacturer so you're literally looking for the badge or you know or the number on the side of the car then there's there's no point of difference um that there is no point we need to have a chat about this um, on a on a midweek motorsport special show. Okay. We'll do that. That's another midweek motorsport not, special I'm show we need to do. Anti rallying. I know I you're not. I know. Modern rallying. I know but that. I, but you know, if someone was to throw me a you know a TR8 a Metro 6R4, <sighs> well, basically you know, anything and, with a Leyland badge on it, you'd be yeah, happy. And a, tri- and, a, and a triple five, you know, Subaru and that sort of thing. It's it, 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 I just I just lost it in the last few years. I mean, I think obviously it, I do recognise absolutely the skill of the two Sebastians. I don't for any moment think they're not incredibly skillful drivers. You know, way above Scott Dixon to bring back something from last week. Um, which is leave a joke. it. Leave joke. it. Move on. He's very overrated, no. though, Scott Dixon, isn't he? Oh, don't, don't, don't fade the troll, for goodness sake. <laughs> right, it's half past nine. Uh, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport. Move on, move on. Where would you like us to go I next? I just wanted to add uh, that Kyriakos Mitsotakis, who's the Greek Prime Minister, uh, said... Massive 70... name in Greek politics, he is. That's quite short, actually. Probably, actually, he's not, ago, you know. He's not. <laughs> 70 years ago, the Acropolis was a backdrop to a very special race which became known as the Rally of the Gods, an epic annual contest that tested drivers like no other. After an eight-year absence, it's back and fittingly to time of dramatic rejuvenation of my country. Yep. Very cool. good. good. for them. That was a medley of Dex and I's joke about Greek 
names. Um, so let's move on. Where would you like to go? Have we finished with Nick? No, we, haven't, we haven't done the, uh, the rest we, of Moto. We, we haven't done the rest of F1. Let's get the shape before we let her go. So that I'll get Dex back. One of them has to go before Do I bring someone else Do we have anything else, else to show? I don't think so. I was going to ask for her thoughts on rallying, but she's been very quiet so far. Well, sh- Shay's she- dad always wanted to go into Rally Newfoundland um, in Ooh. a Porsche with me. Yeah. We talked about that many times, Shay, haven't we? With you? Yeah, yeah not with you. He wanted to do it with me. No, that's not. He, he said I've been telling Shay, but I don't really oh. want to do it with Shay. I want to do it with you, Handoff, because you can read a map. Well, presumably the first well, time he said it was when Shay was about seven, John. Well, probably. Probably. Yeah. Actually, yeah, I think at one stage right. he said we could get a couple of Porsches. We could get a couple of Porsches and do it, which would have been even better. But I don't think I would have beaten him. He's far too quick. He's far too quick. Uh, Shea, yeah. thank you very much indeed. Enjoy your Easter weekend. Best to everybody over there. Will, uh, will you pass on our very best wishes, please? I will do, and they'll send them back. All right. Thanks, Shea. Shea Adam Bye. joining us live here on Midweek Motorsport. Uh, uh, so, Tim. Staying off-road. Moving on. Oh, staying off-road. Right. Rallycross Nordic, presented by Cooper Tyres, will debut a new sustainably produced high-performing biofuel this season, courtesy of an innovative partnership with P1 Racing Fuels. The championship aims to lead the way in going 100% fossil-free by 2022. And that's not the only championship that's doing that. It's not, and we'll come on to another one uh, immediately after this story. Right. Listen, I'll say the same. Nick and I have had this discussion for quite some time about um, where the answers are to personal mobility in the na- next 30, 40, 50 years. Never mind the next five or ten years. And, uh, and, and it's not going to be one answer. And I think this is absolutely the right thing for motorsport to be doing. We must, must, must push for motorsport to drive this technology, whether it's Formula One, whether it's whatever you said, Rallycross, whether it's Nordic. Porsche Super Cup, Nordic Rallycross, whether it's Porsche Super Cup, whether it's, uh, you know, whatever, this is absolutely what motorsport should be doing. They should be looking at ways at extending the technology that we have got rather than defaulting to stuff that takes more out of the ground. That The best... The best and the greenest car in the world is the Jeep Wrangler and the original Land Rover Defender. And do you know why? Because they have lasted for the amount of time that they have. And they have had fewer uh, resources putting into them. And that's not me saying that. That's JD Power, who have no axe to grind on this. And if, if we can keep all the cars running at a less cost to the environment, surely that's got to be the best thing to do. Mr. Dearman. I, 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 I hate being in complete agreement. Right, finish the story. Uh, it's a world first for Rallycross, and the P1 biofuel will be mandatory in the supercar lights category and optional in all other categories. Next year, it'll be compulsory across the board uh, as uh, all events become completely fossil-free. Uh, I suspect that... Uh, at some point this season, all the uh, competitors in all the categories will uh, start using this once they realise that actually it's uh, going to produce more power per 
Does it? Gram than uh, actual. Are they saying it's got fuel? a higher energy density than yes. than conventional carbon-based dug out the yes. ground fossil fuels? Yes. <laughs> That's magnificent. Yeah, it's, which, it's which just is how you, how you crack it, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Moving on to a similar story. Uh, to a similar story, which involves Porsche. Mm-hmm. And with, due, and, with due, and with due respect to the Nordic Rallycross Championship, which um, <laughs> is great, I suspect that more headlines will come from Porsche Super Cup, which supports Formula One and the new Type 992 Cup cars, um, which uh, run uh, the same as all the Carrera Cup cars except without ABS. And that's the next story about uh, non-fossil liquid fuels for internal combustion engines, he said, yes. trying to make and a mouthful of that. This is uh, ExxonMobil behind this one. Correct. Uh, and this will run uh, in 2022. Oh, no, it will run in 2021. I've initially read this as being next year, but it's going to start this year, isn't it? Correct. Uh, from the... Uh, so this is a SO... Biofuel that's being made in Chile. Partially, at least, yes. Um, now, the plant in Chile is, uh, first and foremost, a hydrogen plant, and this is a byproduct of a plant that's already making uh, a, green fu- a different green fuel. Yeah, correct. Uh, and they combine that, and here's the clever bit, they combine it with CO2 that they've taken out of the atmosphere. Yes. So they're, they're basically scrubbing CO2 out of the atmosphere. Um, and combining it with a biofuel. Audi have had a plant out in South America for about 10, possibly even 15 years they now. They've a plant that's just, that takes all the hydropower in when it's not needed, haven't they? Correct. They crack that, it that way. Yeah. That's, that's exactly what this one's doing. Audi's got one that are using very high temperatures from um, effectively a solar farm. It looks like something out of a, a Bond villain's lair. It uses mirrors and gets a hugely high temperature to crack down algae and stuff like that and then make that into, into petrol and diesel, actually. They can make diesel out of that as well, not just gasoline substitute. Uh, and these fuels are... Uh, the tailpipe emissions are negligible to the point whereby there is some discussion about whether um, running a petrol gasoline ICE car on this is actually greener than building and running a battery-powered car with all the rare earths you've got to dig out of the ground. Is, blah, 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 blah. Say that again. No, I mean, of course it is. The, the problem... Well, let's get off the high horse, but the problem is is people are not looking at whole life emissions. They're only looking at what's coming out as it, as it trundles down the road at a particular time. And no electric car is greener than any modern petrol car, in my opinion. I was right the first time, by the way. This isn't until 2022. What is they, it not? Right. What they're doing at the moment they're going to is test testing it. This year. it. And actually, yes. the first test was yesterday at Zandvoort. Yes, yes, correct. And it requires no... Um, modification to the internal combustion engine, even a tuned internal combustion engine of a 992 race car. Well, they'll find out more about that once they've done some more testing, I suspect. Cor- correct. And, and, but but it, it I go will, back to... It will need to be tuned in a different way, I'm sure. 
to get the best out of the fuel. Yes. Um, to get the best out of the fuel uh, properties. Absolutely. Declan Brennan has rejoined us. I go back to what I said, Dex, uh, before we move on. Um, this is exactly what motorsport should be doing, isn't it? This th- We should be going, wow, at motorsport. And they should be breaking new ground. And this is the kind of innovative thinking that, that is motorsport's job, quite frankly. Yeah, but it, it also feels like it should be part of a broader effort by the OEMs to counter some of the legislation that we're seeing both in Europe and, and for example, in California and places like that, where we, we have, we seem to be just going down a, 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 a taking a direction uh, which says, right, we're going to wipe out ice and we're going to do it on this date. And uh, let's just work towards that. And it seems to be and way once we've made bon- and the thinking on that uh, uh, Dex is, if I may, is that if we make that decision and set a date, then everything else will m- magically fall into place because people will have no choice but to find the answers to the questions which at the moment we have no answers for. And I kind yeah. of understand that, but shouldn't we have a plan B? Yeah, and 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 C uh, and D. Stuff, all the whole of these point, things. Though, I'll let Declan finish, but I've got a point afterwards. No, go ahead. No, go, no, go, on, go ahead. Text, go, go. Fundamentally made mine. So that's I, I. I totally agree that this stuff should be happening, but it should be part of a, a broader program uh, to you know across hydrogen and and mixing and matching electric with hybrids and and working out ways to find the optimal way to do this, which uh, to Nick's point doesn't basically impact the atmosphere and everything the same way, just in a, uh, with the same levels, just in a different way. And I was going to say the dates that they've chosen. The yeah, the dates they've chosen. They're doing that, assuming that actually technology will um, catch up. No, will go faster than legislation anyway. And actually, yeah. by the time they reach those dates, the the market would already have made its uh, decision on this. I I understand. I re- I mean, we're getting this is it's all part of motorsport, although you know. Vaguely, but you know it's all part of motorsport, and I understand that sometimes legislation, be it motorsport legislation or national legislation, has to drive the technology. We would not have had the battery technology advancement in motorsport and therefore in our street cars had it not been for the ACO and LMDH, a set of regulations that looked so complicated and so convoluted when we first saw them that we couldn't really understand what they were trying to achieve. Um, We've now got supercapacitor in the new uh, Lamborghini supercar, the uh, Sean, um, in, in that car. Now, all right, nobody's pretending that that is is green but it gives another 250 whatever it is horsepower uh, in, in that car but i go back to what i said without us pressing things in motorsport and legislation then we get no advancement in technology so i understand that but i don't think in anything that you should just say here's a date um and if you're not up to speed by them tough because that's what's being said right now. That's not what's being said in motorsport. That's what's being said in in Europe and, and the UK. 2030, no more ICE cars sold. Not No more ICE cars can drive. So what are we going to do with all the ICE cars that remain? And I'm still going to have an ICE car then because I'm not getting rid of my 1995 968 because I, I love driving it. And, and if I 
replace it, I'm I'm actually taking more out of the environment than if I just keep it running. But they're not oh, asking I tell you, you to what, replace it, are they? They want you to keep it running. That's the whole point. What? And that's why these fuels are absolutely, totally and utterly the right way to go forward. Re- regulations absolutely. and legislation should be written by mad professors who can't get funding from anywhere <laughs> because it forces like that. the people with the money to actually develop the good ideas. Yep. Agreed. I uh, also think that if if some if the people with the money like Formula One, if you turned around to Formula One and said, Right, by twenty twenty five, here's the amount of energy that you can use from fossil fuels. Anything else that you can generate, either regen or generate from other means, is free. But here's the amount of energy you can use during the week that the event from fossil fuels. And in twenty twenty six that's gonna go down by fifteen percent. And in twenty twenty seven it's not gonna... just a car. That's every single Correct. effort they do. So, so you end up having every single thing that isn't that is and isn't nailed down is solar. So every driver is wearing a solar, basically solar panel. Every flat surface has a wind turbine in it. Well, yeah. and look, and look what Stuart look look at what uh, Stuart Cox was saying on this program last week about how much difference you can make in a European Le Mans series team. Um, by instead of taking a big truck um, with everything in it you need, take a, a, a medium-sized van and a trailer. Let's have all the team gear made from recyclable materials. Let's do all the things that we can and look at it as a whole. Th- and that's what Dex is saying here, Dex. And that sort of thing, I absolutely applaud that because, as he said, it's not the cars going around even for four hours that it, it is where the... Um, carbon footprint comes from it's by everybody getting there and that's that's what you've got to do and if you did that in formula one somebody would come up with some clever solutions to all kinds of things because they've got the money to do it that's one of the reasons why formula e wanted to race in city centers because it cuts down on the emissions of people driving to a circuit they can walk the countryside because they can walk there they, yeah. they already live there. Uh, and on the subject of Formula Any e, sporting event, it's always, it's always the people who go to it who cause the most emissions. Yes. Whether, you know, um, a football match. The Guardian did a, the Guardian did a recently did a, uh, a, a special on the, its football podcast about, about, the, uh, about climate change mm. and the impact that soccer has on it and, and a, the impact that, that a professional team has on. And it's staggering. Yeah, agreed. It's absolutely staggering. I feel we've and, been uh, talking about this more. Yes, in the, in, and we will. In the but we need weeks. to move on now. Uh, yes, and we do. I mentioned Formula E. And Porsche is uh, another manufacturer. We mentioned Nissan last week. Another manufacturer to commit to the Gen 3 Formula E car. Yeah, uh, which uh, comes into place, uh, comes into effect in the 23 they... season. No, AMG. No AMG. Did they didn't make the deadline, did they? So it's not going to happen. I've got another Porsche story. Go on. If I can find it. Where are we going? <laughs> <laughs> Let me remind everybody that coming up you in that, yes. about 11, 12 minutes time, Paul Tarsi, uh, along with Peter Snowden from the Aston Martin Owners Club, uh, the man who runs all their race maintenance, uh, and Jim Roller, uh, Joe Bradley, I think, uh, is on as well this week uh, because he does the commentary for Aston Martin Owners Club events here in the UK. Talking about the brand Aston Martin. It's history. 
which started with racing, of course, uh, through its sports cars, its previous two-year dalliance with Formula One uh, and bringing that story up to date. That's the historic racing news radio show coming up straight after us tonight. Tim? They're also going to be doing some uh, uh, book reviews as well. So if you uh, need something to read... Listen to that. Uh, staying with Porsche, though, and the Earl of March of Kinrara uh, will return to the Porsche Sprint Challenge Great Britain for the full season in 2021, rating in an eye-catching Spitfire-inspired livery. Really? Yes. Excellent. Uh, he made his first appearance in a modern GT car at Silverstone last November in the final round of the Sprint Challenge. is an inaugural season. Uh he will join Matt Armstrong at Team Parker Racing and two uh, drivers called uh, TBC. Uh, the series is set to begin at Thruxton on the weekend of May the 8th and 9th. I had such a great time in my one race last year and the team looked after me so well I thought I'd come back and give it a proper go. I'm pretty ex- inexperienced at the modern circuits so I'm just excited to try them out and learn as we go. Going back to Silverstone will be good as I've driven there before but it'll all be good learning for the future. Uh, let's quickly do a bit of two-world news uh, before not, we... Do you not want to question me about the Earl of March and Kinrara? No. No, oh, OK. <laughs> <laughs> are we having Formula One news, or are we having bike news, or we, are we going Bike to news. Let's do, that's, why, that's why Dex is back. Yes. So Moto3. Declan. Yes. Moto3. It's usual, it's usual bonkers self. Uh, slightly and less it, bonkers by there being... Um, what looked like a game of bar billiards at the bottom end of the top <laughs> ten early on, and um, I, I couldn't decide whether it was a pot, a plant, uh, or whatever. However, oh, it was worth about ninety-four points, though. I'll tell you, if you got one of them, you'd have, you'd have almost certainly won. Uh, yeah, not uh, not a great score for John McPhee, who was an absolute <laughs> innocent bystander in a, in the season when you said this has got to be his season. Yes. It's an awful start for the Scotsman. Sadly, he doesn't get respotted. Uh, so, <laughs> so I, 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 I watched the Moto3 race and a couple of things went through my mind. One, if you're Patronus Sprinter Racing, you sign Darren Binder to the longest contract you possibly can. Uh, give him a 200-year yeah. like Like when Arthur Guinness got the 5,000-year lease on, on, the, uh, on the, the, the Guinness factory uh, in Dublin. Yeah. Uh, Basically, sign sign Darren Binder to a five thousand year contract because he is just going to be phenomenal. Absolutely, he phenomenal. is box office money, isn't he? Yes, he is. And now that he's he's on a bike, he can win on. He's going to win and uh, a lot. But I, all I could do was think of poor old Nick watching this because uh, after his poor old Jorge Martin never got a proper look in because Jorge Martin sent Nick off on a rant about there being too many uh, good Spaniards. Mm. And what happens? Uh, second place in his debut is like four-year-old Pedro Acosta, the uh, uh, another Spanish wonder kid. And this this guy again, we got to look out. This is insane. He won the European uh, Talent Cup, and then immediately went into the uh, the Moto Three World uh, Junior Championships, which is a a significant step up. He won that, and immediately comes into to Moto3 and finishes second in his first race. <laughs> he was absolutely sensational. And another guy, seventh, who qualified uh, well up the grid, is Anguavera. So there are two uh, more young Spaniards, combined age of 32, uh, 
which is just hilarious uh, that we have to watch out for. And poor Nick is, yes, Nick, uh, you are not seeing the last of the Spaniards by any means. We may end up with a full grid of them in MotoGP uh, within a decade. <laughs> and racing only on Spanish or uh, Iberian Peninsula <laughs> circuits, obviously, because there'd be no point in going anywhere else at that point. The Spanish, uh, maybe they should have a Spanish MotoGP championship, like they used to the British Formula One championship. That is, ju- that is just MotoGP. Frank. Oh, that's right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we said we weren't going to say much about um, Moto Two because there wasn't that much to say because it was completely dominated. It was, yeah, and and to be honest, Sam Lowe's really did pick up from where he left off in the last half of last year. He really uh, only lost the world championship because of injury an injury at the start of the season, which left him out of the the opening round in Qatar. And then injury laid on as he was pushing for the championship, having won three races in a row. And he immediately went out with all that expectation on him at Mark VDS and won fairly comfortably against like Remy Gardner's finally on the right, right bike. The interesting thing I wanted to mention was uh, obviously a lovely result for, for the federal oil Grazzini motor two team, uh, their first race since the, the, the passing away of, of their team leader, Fausto Grassini. Mm. But Fabio Di, Di Giantonio uh, finally gets on a, a, a decent bike and was really impressive. Good. Yeah. And and here's my song coming. I just felt like as I was watching him in my head, I was singing oh what I thought he'd be singing, which was, I'm on a Calyx. I'm on a Calyx. Sick in. He needs more lines than just "I'm on a Calyx, I'm on a Calyx." He's got the whole follow-up uh, code to go. You can, you can, you can work, you can work on that. He was in the money saying... though, certainly for that. There's no I doubt. I did sing the next bit, but uh, but you you interrupted, so you didn't hear it. But uh, yeah, so he was uh, Fabio Di Gian Antonio on his Calyx for the first time and was very very good. Mm. And uh, I, can I mention one thing just in general about uh, and Nick? I'd love your opinion on this. I'm baffled by the way they run practice and qualifying uh, and basically schedule everything for these races. I just don't understand why we don't get a chance to see these riders uh, practice at a time that will be even similar to when they're going to race. Uh, that is bonkers for me. Yeah, I, I just and I'd, I'd love to get somebody else's opinion as to why they it it I don't it, it doesn't seem to make any sense at all that. Uh, the practice sessions are held in such high temperatures because in some cases they were meaningless, absolutely meaningless. Uh, and in any other sport, you wouldn't have people going out except for the fact that all of the sessions count, of course, and that and that is yeah. the one thing that they do do. Right? No, I I don't disagree uh, with that. Uh, we've got six minutes left. I want to rattle through a few tweets about all sorts that we've been talking about uh, tonight. Uh, Hellfish, couple of things uh, on. Uh, the non-carbon-based fuels. I've been saying for a long go- while that if the goal is to get carbon out of the atmosphere, that's the way with more CO2 being stored away than used in fuel points. If they strip the O2 from the sea and store it in pure carbon, used in materials or fuels, if they were serious about road relevance as claimed, it uh, all would be camless, have a bleeding-edge injector and ignition design, have the lightest batteries on the planet and have the most efficient electric storage and use that... Uh, allows that uh, physics allowed alex orton talked about rally cars yes 6r4 rs200 peugeot t16 
RAC Rally, Kale de Forest. Oh, and, and the Thousand Lakes uh, as well. Uh, the Real Sim GE. Ah, you've just described my utopia. How awesome would LMP1 have been without the arbitrary 248 mega geo limits? Limit the uh, petrol, everything else free. F1, FE, WEC should have done that ages ago. Dave Alcock saying, a brilliant development for motorsport. An article about, he's posted, which I've now reposted, the National Geographic about CO2 extraction and how that could be used to create fuel. Um, Jesse says, I'm in the boat right now to create a Garage 56 entry with crazy, radical, sustainable fuel. Amazing what's been discovered right now, right under our nose. John, this, this is the thing that, that I, I, why, why making uh, the proclamations and, and laws with targets that are so far out. It, it, the, the one thing that we have learned recently across all elements of development and all product is how rapid it is. Yes. Like we have, we're, we're developing product and, and, and innovation at such a rate now that and, and getting things to market, getting to, to, to a marketable level at such That's a rate now that almost all of this legislation seems entirely redundant. Yeah, uh, because we can't pick pick where we're going to be in five years, let alone fifteen. Well, there's a set of guys who've just been spun out of Newcastle University who have managed an electric motor um, that doesn't use rare earths and is using what is effectively an electric electromagnetic version of um, very precise petrol injection or diesel injection so basically like tfsi and it's very very precise use of electromagnetic fields so that you don't have to use the rare earths all right let's uh, let's move on nick Derman is still with us uh, and we and promised some formula of... one news yes um, yes let's do it right just, just got one formula one story anyway which is that uh, daniel ricardo's uh, got a bet going with zach brown is what, it another tattoo? tattoo it's not a tattoo no Way better than a tattoo. Yeah, it's a definitely. ride in, in a in the in the number three Wrangler Dale Earnhardt stock what? car. Really? Which Zach Brown owns. Wow. And what does he have to do, Dex? Win seventeen races. <laughs> does he he has to win, right? No, Not he smile. Only has to get onto the podium. Oh ah and, and which circuit is he gonna allow him to drive it at? Oh I don't know. Or that. does it not matter? doesn't really matter, does I, it? I think you should I, do I, it at Rye House on that. the shill. <laughs> I found out some excellent F1 gossip by accident today. Go on, then. Did, uh, which actually spins into um, a, a, a magazine. But, um, you know, the, the, the Corinna uh, Schumacher used to go out at Hind Tower Frenson. Yes. Yeah. Well, today, Nelson Piquet has been spouting that Max Verstappen would destroy Lewis Hamilton. Oh, that's a bit of an odd thing to say. But do you know that Max Verstappen is now going out with Kelly PK? Yes, I did know that. And yeah. did you know who Kelly PK used to go out with? Danny Kvyat. Yes. Danny right. Kvyat. Right. And had a baby with him. So yes. not only did he take his, not only did Max Verstappen take his drive at Red Bull, he's now taking his girlfriend and their child. <laughs> Well, in all fairness, Michael Schumacher. Uh, uh, you know, I don't think not. we can do that story, Deck. No, I'm, I'm no, sorry. let's let's uh, let's not go there. <laughs> uh, 
we did promise a bit of Formula 2 news. Uh, all I'm going to say is Liam Lawson won the first race, Oscar Piastri won the second, and Wang Yuzhu won the third one. We also promised some European sports car news. I don't think it works. I don't think it works. I, I enjoyed all of the races. I thought it was overly complicated. It was overly sports complicated. Sports car news, go. Uh, young Belgian Hugo de Wilde will uh, race in yes. a Ligier LMP3 car for um, someone uh, into <laughs> Europol <laughs> competition. <laughs> Uh, Interpol, Interpol. Uh, alongside yeah. Martin Hipper. Um, or Interpol. Yes, Interpol. Yeah. Inter- Interpol. It's the only way they can get any uh, any uh, any um, publicity now, Dex. The, the... It is literally the worst undercover job in history. <laughs> you, put, you put Interpol on the side of the car, you idiot. <laughs> Europol in plain sight, Dex. And yeah, finally, absolutely. it's the 30th anniversary of the Clio Cup this year. Is it? And it's reinventing itself with a pan-European format, which is ridiculously complicated. And I can't possibly explain in the 45 seconds we've got left. But it all kicks off at Nagara this weekend or possibly at Monza later in the month or possibly at Manucor next month depending on of the what 65 you want to entries do. of the 65 entries nine will finish yeah if 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 you're lucky but they'll sell a lot of parts Basically, all right coming up we've to four and no don't we haven't got time okay. we haven't got time i'll talk about it uh, next week we, remind me we'll talk about we'll do it all next week uh, also, after the show next week, we've got a, a baby long one with Jost Capital uh, coming up tomorrow at eight o'clock. It's the Simcast. Then it's on the grid as Creelzy, Shebex and the team look back at a brilliant weekend uh, triple at Sandown, which is going to be sold for housing. Seven, I bet you'll be seven and a half thousand houses. Seven and a half thousand. You can, you can have your house houses. as an Australian motor circuit, John. It just won't be a circuit no. anymore. Thanks to Dex, Shea, Nick, and to Tim, the responsible adult was Shea Adam. Stay tuned for historic racing news as they take a look at Aston Martin. Bye-bye. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. For more, subscribe to Midweek Motorsport wherever you get your podcasts.